Is there any way to reduce the chances of getting a mental health condition? Let's talk about it. A very good evening to everyone watching. Welcome to the Rooted Minds Podcast. I'm your host Gabriel and together with me is Matthew and Jialin who are our co-hosts as well as our backstage crew Shafika and Stephanie. Yay! <laughs> right, so for those of you who don't really know, we are final year students at Neon Polytechnic's Business and Social Enterprise and Rooted Minds is our final year project. This will be the first episode of our five-part series podcast where we aim to bring parents fun and interesting content regarding the topic of mental health and resilience in families. Although this podcast is for parents of young families, but fret not as it is very applicable and relatable for anyone in the family. I mean, clearly we are not, uh, we are a bit too young to be parents and that uh, we do not have much practical experience in terms of mental health and mental resilience. That's why we'll be inviting guests and experts to have a conversation with them to learn more about the topic on mental health and mental resilience. Right, so without further ado, let's invite our first guest on the podcast today. Let's welcome Mr. Donovan! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> right, so uh, I think Mr. Donovan, you're familiar that the Today's topic is going to be on mental health and resilience in families, right? Yep. So uh, maybe you could, uh, to start off, you can share with our viewers, um, what is your expertise or your experience like relating to mental health? Mm. Um, so thank you first and foremost for having me on this uh, podcast, right? <laughs> it's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. um, so my name is Mr. Don, right? Um, I've been working with young people for the last 10 years. Um, currently, I'm a counsellor with Nian Poly, student counsellor. Um, previously, I worked in social services, um, spent about seven years in MOE, right. and um, I'm also a part-time lecturer um, with uh, SUSS. Oh, on mental health as well? Um, Specialising in counselling ethics. Counselling ethics. Yeah. Right, right. So, um, right now, you're practising as a counsellor. Is there like a certain like levels of counselling that, I, I don't know, like there's, there's supposed to be a scale between like counsellor and like uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, I, I don't know. Uh, not exactly. Not really. Yeah. yeah, unless you say it's a position or rank or title, oh. then you have counselor, senior counselor, that kind of stuff. Okay, okay. So, so like as a counselor, like what's your jurisdiction? Can you like give medicine and everything? Uh, uh thanks for that clarification. Yeah. So, just to distinguish, right? Yeah. Um, counselors do therapy, mm-hmm. right? Um, psychologists they can do therapy, but they kind of do a, a bit more on assessments, oh. right? And then there's, there's psychiatrists who are actually full doctors and they can do therapy as well, but they tend to do a bit more on the um, medica- me, um, dispersing of medication. Right. Yeah, so there's some slight differences. Mm-hmm. So as a counsellor, do you do like um, uh, the diagnosis or so? No, uh, no, we will work together with the team, right? right. So if it's uh, requiring a diagnosis, we refer up to uh, psychologists or mm. psychiatrists, medication and, and that. So one way I usually kind of put um, to explain counselling, I would say that a counsellor takes care of a social, emotional or mental wellness issue. Mm. If it's biological, um, psychiatrist. Oh. Diagnostics, go to a um, psychiatrist. Right. Uh, sorry, psychologist. Right. So actually interesting, so that means there's also a, bi- a biological factor to mental health also, mm. influencing like... Yeah, I know that some mental health conditions are also like hereditary in the family. Yeah. Like, like there's a higher percentage you get. Okay, I, I think, but first and foremost, 
maybe let's get a better understanding of what this entire concept of mental health is about. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what is mental health to you guys? <laughs> like, what, what, what do you think? Uh, to me, it's like, like, it's like, it's similar to physical health in a way. So, of course, like, to me, having good physical health means that you're able to, like, uh, do daily activities physically without uh, suffering or being injured. So, to me, uh, mental health is similar in the sense that, uh, that you can do your daily activities without having, um, like, emotional or emotional distress or like psychological distress and that's how I view mental health mm, yeah right right and I know some people they view it the other way around like um, in a more positive like, because the, the, what you mentioned just now is like what, so it's the absence of distress is it so something like that yeah yeah yeah. yeah so what, what, what exactly is mental health like I mean to the expert <laughs> because you are the expert here yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say that <laughs> <laughs> okay um I would view mental health as a continuum or mental wellness. Um, And I like to say that health is not the absence of um, negative emotions and things like that. So very often people think that um, if I experience any form of stress or distress, right, then maybe I'm unwell. Mm. But I think we also want to acknowledge that um, life has its own shares of up and downs, right? And that's going to happen. Good's going to come, bad's going to come. And... Um, health might be better painted as how do we respond to such challenges, right? So the ability to work things through, right, and to um, hang in there, yeah, I would say. And that kind of ties into what you want to talk about, um, resilience, right? Right, right? So, yeah, mental wellness is really about how do we respond to life's challenges, mm. yeah. Mm. But does it have to do anything with like feelings. So like if I were to have like both like if I were to not have any like positive or negative feelings, does that does that mean I'm mentally healthy? Mm, if you feel nothing, you'll probably be dead. <laughs> okay. So maybe I also uh, want to put a, a clarification, right? So in psychology, uh, or rather in layperson's term, we kind of mix up uh, we use interchangeably what um, emotions are and what feelings are, mm. right? Um, to be more specific, emotions are what we experience um, biologically, right? So your heart rate increases, you know, um, you feel tense, tightening of muscles. So that's um, a physiological response. That's an emotion, right? Um, a feeling is what we kind of like interpret and we make sense of it, right? So what we think about it, we label it, we name it, and then we call that that cluster of, of responses of an emotion, we label it as a feeling, mm. right? Um, so actually, you think about it, right? Uh, surprise and fear, or excitement and, and kind of surprise, they are, they are very similar in emotional or physiological responses, mm. right? But then how we interpret the event and we call, kind of call it, um, you know, either excitement or, or fear. Okay, think about it. Lah. If you go on a roller coaster, right? How would you feel? I think something is <laughs> fear. 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 And you? Excitement. Uh, yeah, very well, right? Right, right. And, and so the interpretation of that, um, you know, whatever you call that, the feeling, mm. right, is actually more of a psychological construct, if you will, uh. Yeah. So that means like, um, so is there actually a difference between like excitement and fear? 
they're but, very similar, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the the bodily reactions are the same, right? So that means it's like what we we own self, um, like it's something we create for ourselves, is it? Um, how we choose to uh, come to, uh, has to do with our perception, huh. right? And how we choose to um, call it or label it, right? right? And so you say I'm feeling excited or I'm feeling fearful, right? And and that um, kind of directs um, your intent and, and how you perceive the entire situation, right? Yeah. So I, I'm not right to say happiness is an emotion, nah. Happiness is a feeling. Feeling, okay. Yeah. Wow, every time I say emotion, it's emotion is a feeling. I mean, yeah. Okay, right. Well, thanks for the clarification. Yeah. But so, oh, yeah. yeah, but the thing is like, like uh, I mean, everyday people. I think even in we with people that are struggling mentally, they experience positive and negative uh, feelings. Mm. But so where do you draw the line between like, like for a person to identify themselves as being unhealthy mentally? Mm. Um, I would go with uh, chronicity or duration, right? So too much of anything, good or bad, um, is not healthy, mm. right? So for example, depression might be viewed as too much of uh, a low mood, right? And then, you know, we call them crazy, but maybe if it's, if it's like the Joker, right, it's forever smiling. <laughs> you know, say, this guy is not too right, man, he's forever happy. Yeah, so um, one of the things also about mental health is that because it exists on a continuum, right? Um, walking this, what we call the middle path or balance or moderation, um, in, even in terms of our emotions, I would say, right? That um, not that we don't enjoy the highs and the lows, they're going to come, right? But uh, we kind of deal with them in such a way that, you know, um, we don't dwell there too long on the extremes. Yeah, and we, and we kind of learn to regulate and shift ourselves when it's too much into either extreme. Kind of regulate ourselves to come back to the middle middle path. Right. So so what if it's the other way around? Like like what Jaling said just now, where there is no a lot of highs and ends in in the both sides, like happiness or uh, on the positive or negative feelings, right? So like if it's like very close to the middle all the time, is that person like considered a mentally healthy person? Um. Okay. So. Too much of anything, yeah. extremes included, <laughs> middle included. Middle also included. Yeah. Wow. Because if, if someone doesn't is unable to experience the fuller range of emotions, right. means there's nothing that really excites him. Every day is mundane. Mm. Right? I think that would also kind of suck the joy out of living. Mm. Right? Mm. So um, middle path, right? But also, you know, experience the full 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 spectrum, la, but so don't scene, stay yeah. too long. Don't stay too long, right? Right, okay, I see, I see. Wow. So actually, mental health is not something that is uh, uh, a linear path, but it's very like up and down kind of thing. Kind of like, uh, mm. what's that graph called? I forgot. Sine curve. Uh, <laughs> curve. Secondary school math. Yeah. Curve bell. Oops. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, like, um, maybe to give an example, like COVID just happened, mm. right? So uh, I, I think that we all know that COVID's impact has, has uh, really... Um, I, I guess decrease the mental health of Singaporeans during this period of time, mm-hmm. uh, even even now so la, But when it first came out, um, I think is 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 the the most scary part because it's very uncertain, uh, and there was that period of circuit breaker as well, which is I think we can talk more about that later. Isolation and everything, yeah. So uh, I have some statistics here. So actually during the circuit breaker period, right, a study was conducted by IMH and 
1,058 participants um, aged 21 to 49 were surveyed. So they found that 8.7% of them met the criteria for clinical depression, 9.4% met the, the, the criteria for clinical anxiety, and 9.3% met the criteria for severe stress. So are these like numbers something that is worrying or is it like a normal thing like on average uh, like to, to you as a... Um, so COVID's impact on mental health in general, uh, yeah. right? Um, I think we acknowledge that uh, mental health concerns have risen, mm. right? Um, and usually I like to view it as the baseline anxiety, right? Fearful of the future, fearful of the unknown, right? Mm. And, you know, they keep coming Omicron, you know? <laughs> yeah, the, the, when is it going to end? So all these uncertainty increases the baseline anxiety levels um, mm. for people. And with that, I think it's not too difficult to imagine how um, this pushes, right? Um, someone who is borderline anxious already, mm. right? And then just tips them over into um, experience more anxiety than would be healthy. Right, right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, earlier, I think we tried to frame it and say that uh, mental health is not really the, the presence or the absence of positive and negative emotions, mm. right? But um, could be looked at one view is how do we respond to these challenges and anxiety, COVID, right? The, the anxiety that COVID brings is one such challenge that I think a mentally healthy person um, would need to deal with. Um, the other thing I want to put out also, I, I mean, I'm sorry, it's not too com- It's in my head, but you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, so we also want to acknowledge that there are people who have also certain temperaments or personalities, right? right. And when we talk about peace and, and you know this calmness, there are also people who are start off with a baseline which is more anxious, right? Now COVID will definitely affect this this person with an anxious temperament or personality a lot more than someone who's more easygoing, right? But why would they have a different baseline though? Um, okay, so we. We want to acknowledge that each of us have a different temperament, and that's an inclination or disposition, natural disposition. So it's not because of external factors. Uh, I mean different theories, but yeah. as we grow up, right? So you can see like some kids are a bit more happy-go-lucky. Yeah. Some kids are a bit more um, uptight, like you know, this is mine, right. cannot, you know. So so you have different personalities and all of that. And when you talk about mental wellness, we also want to acknowledge the traits that are inherent within each of us that makes us different, right? And that also factors into how do we respond to challenges in life. I think in Singapore, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but uh, the highest, uh, uh, the most prevalent mental health condition is uh, mood depressive, eh, major depressive disorder, right? Which is yeah. depression. Yeah, then uh, I think from... Like, like uh, when I was doing research for, for this topic, right, so I was trying to see whether there's any baseline or, um, to compare with, like, um, the changes of, like, COVID-19, like, how, how, what kind of mental health conditions come out during COVID, what kind of mental health conditions were there before the pandemic. Yeah, so um, I think that um, from a 2010 study and a 2016 study by um, Ministry, eh? IMH, I think, yeah, they found that uh, generalized um, anxiety disorder was one of the highest rising uh, mental health condition in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why why is it that anxiety is is rising even before the pandemic? I mean, we 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 knew that Singapore or oh, it's kind of a stressful society, exams right, yeah. and all that. Uh, I think the government has done its fair share in trying to like take away exams, mm. right? But um, 
that doesn't discount the kiasu parent of the tiger mom and stuff like that lah. And okay, um, in terms of cases, um, top three has always been relationships, family, and anxiety, mm. right? At least within the education system, the kind of cases that we see, um, this has always been the top three. Anxiety, acad related, right? Used to be number one. With COVID, it kind of switched out, right? And family is now number one, and anxiety is number two. Uh, anxiety relating to acad stress, mm. yeah. So um, I think that's one way to view things, um, how anxiety is on the rise, but at least for now, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Baseline's gone up, but the uh, issues have switched. Right. Yeah. Um, that would be an interesting so study. Mean that, like, although anxiety is on the rise, family relationships are... Uh, is even like worse. <laughs> like it... Relationships might be more than academics a cause of um, stress la, or anxiety. Stress. Right. Yeah. Seems likely, at least, we, at least for young people, because we are taking, talking about um, statistics within educational institution. Mm. Yeah. For the wider population, I'm not too sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think actually I'm quite interested la, like in COVID scenario or any scenario at all. How does it actually a mental health disorder like develop? Because like like you say it's like because of stress and um all these different uh, or, or staying too too long at one side of the spectrum of mental health or, or like the feelings that you are feeling. So after I stay too long at that point, is it like what I because I, I stay at the, the low point too much then I'm numb to the rest or the high point too much then I'm numb to the rest? Is is it that kind of ideology? Mm. Okay, so you want to recognize that it's very complex, right? Uh, yeah. When you talk about ment- how a mental disorder develops, mm. so it's we don't want to reduce it or simplify, oversimplify it. Right. So um, being a complex matter, we earlier talked about a biological component, hereditary, environmental, right? But if I were to just address it through the lens of um, feelings and experiences, okay. By and large, we let's say we begin with a person who is you know, peaceful, calm, right? Just very happy, <laughs> generally. And then there's a bit of um, stress, and actually there's this term called eustress, right? So eustress is healthy stress that challenges us to, to grow, mm. right? It's, it's like, you know, you sit for an exam, you know, yeah, I'm going to do, do well, you know, just a challenge. Right. And then from there, we have things like stress, right? Which is um, a bit more... Um, um, forceful and, and demands a bit more of us. Okay, you push it a bit more, and then you can probably come across things like um, distress. Okay, now that's still alright if we kind of don't stay too long there, right? So you know, like a death of a loved one, that could be a bit tragic, right? Um, loss of a relationship, so you're in a distress for a certain amount of time, and that that's part of normal, and then you get out of it after that, after appropriate amount of time. So we talk about duration. Now what happens is, if someone is unable to find their way out, right, and then they stay there very long, it leads to frustration. Chronic frustration and, you know, no lack of support, right, can lead someone to uh, feel hopeless. Right, so you begin to see how it, how it goes. And with hopelessness, uh, loss of meaning, loss of purpose, not being able to see a way out, mm. right, and then you have things like uh, 
depression, right? And, and so you see it's a continuum um, and it takes time for, for, for hope to be kind of sucked out of someone. Right? Now, I, of course, I'm only describing depression. La. Right, right, right. right. Um, anxiety might fit somewhere into um, uh, the, 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 the point of stress, right? So they experience feelings or emotions like anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, one of the things we encourage, um, at least a good therapist would do with their, with their um, clients, is to try to help them be aware, right? identify how they are. What is their personality type? What is their inclination? And the more self-aware we are, um, I guess, the more equipped we are to respond in a, in a better, better appropriate way. Mm, right. So actually, self-awareness is key to like, recovering from a mental health condition. I, I would say so, yeah. So there's no way to like, cycle someone without letting them know that they have a mental health condition. Um, brainwashing, manipulation, or unethical. Unethical? <laughs> oh, so those are actual practices. Uh. No, those, those are not actual practices. <laughs> oh, those are, oh, those are not, okay. Yeah. Shouldn't be, uh. <laughs> Right, right. So, like, we are on, like, academic stress. Because just now you mentioned about the you stress to stress to, like, de-stress. Then you say, like, too much of anything is not good. But, because since, like, you stress gives you the drive to, like, do better, then I think for, like, students, like, constantly throughout our academic years, we'll always be in that you stress phase. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it will turn to stress like um during like more um peak periods, exam periods. So mm-hmm. is there a way like people can move back from like distress stress back to like you stress? Mm. Good study habits. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So I think it's all about managing, right? So um, when it's post exams, by right automatically you kind of should revert. You should expect that a person reverts back to yeah, post exam and, and relax and all. Oh, that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we're all in stress. <laughs> yeah, and, and maybe yeah, if the results aren't good or if you get heat from your parents or if you get, you know, um, extra tuition, you know, mm. or if you have to work, and I think that's also, these are also real world issues, right? Yeah. So there are students who financial issues and they need to um, get a job. So they are constantly in this. Um, you know, it's not a cat, there's another area that is pressurizing them. Mm. So, uh, how do we manage then? And maybe that will also lead into a, another related topic, which is self-care. How do we manage ourselves through, uh, how do we respond to all of these things? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things also, I mean, thanks for, for raising up. One of the studies we did recently um, was... We, we discovered that actually um, for high-risk, and high-risk we define it as um, people who might be facing a lot, a lot of pressure, how do they respond? Actually, there are two groups. The one that we are more familiar with would be those who don't do well academically, right? Mm. Financials, like financial support, um, family stress and all that. So they, they drop out, they don't show up for class, stuff like that. But we also acknowledge that then there's another category uh, and this is um, maybe possibly a bigger category, who are the high performers, overachievers. We call them type A personality. Right? So these people are so driven that they don't know their own limits. Right? They don't acknowledge limits maybe. Mm. Right? They push themselves to excel above and beyond and sometimes to the point of the breaking point. Right? And we also want to acknowledge when we talk about resilience, how do we um, care for these people and how do we also, carve out space. Um, 
the message of resilience right might be helpful to those who are at the bottom right if you fall if you're meeting uh, something right stand up again right um, whatever doesn't kill you make you stronger some of these things that um, the world is, is messaging uh. but the same message might be you know what pushes the high achiever type a personality overboard mm. right because these people if you tell them to do even more right that's not going to be very uh, good for them uh. yeah so maybe it's a pull back a little bit so you know a brake and an accelerator they need to come in come in together yeah exactly how has like COVID-19 affected family dynamics in young families mm. yeah for, for families, I would imagine, right, um, greater proximity, mm. right, um, greater length of time that we are spending together. Um, and things that might have been uh, able to distract and kind of like, you know, um, avoid. Um, right now, because of all the, the confinement and stuff, you have to, and you live, you sleep, you rest, and you work in the same place. Mm. Right? So a lot more communication is required. So if, if this wasn't already present, right? There's a lot more opportunity now for friction. Yeah. So um, in a way it kind of kind of like um, forces issues to come up, whatever it was 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 uh, unaddressed. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Right. I think that brings us to the topic of like resilience. Uh. Mm-hmm. So like the example we gave just now on like COVID, you know, and um, I think COVID is a very uh, unfortunate example of how life just hits you. <laughs> you know, like a- a- any everyone would would uh, at some part of that of their life face like a very stressful incident, right? Or uh, something, whether like you just now said like um the death of a loved one, grief and everything, or or it might just be um from school or or these external factors like natural disasters or pandemic. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. Since everyone will be facing something like this, right? I think that really like like brings out the importance of um having good mental resilience, which is um uh I think uh my, based on like my own explanation is um uh, the the ability to be able to respond or adapt to a hard situation. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. uh, later you can give us a, a a like a more accurate um explanation of what exactly the term mental resilience is about, lah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. What, what, is, <laughs> what is mental resilience? <laughs> um, so, how I understand resilience is just the ability to bounce back up or the ability to deal with tough situations. Right, right. right? So, um, to me, resilience is really um, a response, right? Uh, some people crumble, right, uh, the moment something happens. Other mm. people hang in there, they work things out, they are, they, they are patient, right? Um, resilience to me is also something very, very different from stubbornness. Mm. Right? I think there's an element of creativity in uh, resilience also, where someone, uh, a person hangs in there but also looks to do things differently. Mm. I think to me, stubbornness is just hanging there, refusing to change, and keep banging your head against the wall you know, over and over again. Yeah. So um, resilience uh, brings this quality of... Uh, creativity also for me. Mm. Right, right, I see. So I, I I think like is resilience does it also encompass like being able to know your limits? 
like uh because like like the entire like concept of mental resilience is to be able to bounce back, right? So what what if I like, I'm able to like know okay, I won't be able to handle something like this. Uh then I, I prevent myself or or like I anticipate that oh something bad is gonna happen, so I prepare myself. Like does is there an element like knowing your limits or so? I think that would be fair to include that within it. Mm. Right. So um if someone is aware of their own limits and resilience is the opposite of that would be um maybe to fall into uh to give up hope. Right. Yeah. Right. So rather than feeling hopeless or, or and all that, so someone who is resilient might say, okay. Maybe this is out of my competency, my abilities, but let's look at how I could still get it done, how I could still, you know, so the element of creativity, the element of hope, the element of resourcefulness. Yeah, I, I think this uh, might en- encompass what, what you're talking about, the resilient mental attitude. Law. Right, right. So uh, as much as it is like being able to um, have resources to uh, bounce back, it's also a frame of mind uh, mm-hmm. to be able to... Um, uh, kind of, uh, uh, what was that term? Like link, link it, link it not to yourself, but to external factors, and be able to to know your limits as well. Mm. To see resources, to see you know strategies, and, and rather than just surrender. Yeah, you know? right, yeah. right, right. So like, um, exactly, how does a person build up mental resilience? Mm. This is a great question. Um, I mean, I'm just like tempted to say some people got it, some people don't. <laughs> but no, 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 obviously that's not true. Because as we were talking about it and we were discussing, right? Yeah. There are many components, including optimism, for example, right? right. Hopefulness. That, that we are now putting into this definition because we, we try to simplify, right? Yeah. But, you know, it, it's more complex than that. Right. And so you have different things feeding into it now. Um, when we talk about temperaments and how each of us are different, um, someone who is more hopeful, right, more optimistic in general, right, um, we can say that this person might be slightly more inclined towards um, resilience because this person doesn't give up and all that. But that is also a, a bit simplistic because there are other things that come in. Mm-hmm. Um, resourcefulness, uh, strategizing, being able to see possibilities, right? Um, determinis- uh, determination. Mm. Yeah. So, if, if someone wants to develop resilience, right, um, it is actually quite holistic, the concept, the one we are talking about. And maybe it's just, if you boil it down to the simplest definition, how do we um, first be determined, right, bounce back from adversity or from failure, lah, right? Uh, so, so, depending on, on what uh, is necessary or needed for this person, what are the aspects that we can build or begin to build for this person? Yeah. Mm, right. So, I mean, like, is it similar to... Uh, like just now I gave the example of like, um, if a person who has a mental health uh, condition, right, they are aware of uh, their mental health condition, so they are able to act on it. So it's the same thing for resilience, right? So if a person gains awareness or education about resilience, they'll be able to like increase it, like because um like you mentioned, there's many factors involved in resilience, right? Like uh, uh that that influence resilience, like optimism and whatever, yeah. So uh uh with all the different factors involved, right? If um someone were to be able to uh, know about what like understand what are the different factors to it, they can like curate it and increase their resilience from there. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, so one thing would be also control, right? Yeah. How, how does the person view um, their ability to control what's going on? Control their controllables, lah. Right. So if the person is a, feels that they can, they have a uh, bit more control over the situation, then that it would be the antidote. I I I think against hopelessness. Mm. Right. So yeah. So like, when should resilience be developed? Like, is there a a um key area or moment in in, in your life that you you should be developing mental resilience? Absolutely. I, I think it. Like everything, it begins in the family, in the home. Right. Right. Earlier we talked about modeling. Mm. Um, I think from when we recognize that um, young children have certain temperaments, right? Um, from young we can begin to inculcate resilience by beginning to not um, over shelter them, get them to be exposed age appropriately, and then to challenge them and let them figure out things by themselves, right? Um, so there's there's one school of thought, the the tabula rasa, is a blank slate. Like children, you know, just let them run around, they'll figure things out, you know, don't intervene. Right. And I don't think that's very wise as well. Um, I think a good parent would also be able to recognize um, how their child is like. Right? Is this a more easily frustrated child, an angry child? Is this a more optimistic child? Right? Or is this child uh, you know, um uh uh, a sulker, <laughs> you know, whatever the temperament is, and then begin to balance it off because there's always, um, like we say, the middle path requires moderation and balance. So someone who is too overly optimistic needs a dose of reality, right? The appropriate challenge. Someone who is always angry needs to be uh, to learn a bit more patience, right? Someone who gives up easily. Um, needs to be challenged a bit more and to kind of be a bit more supported and to find out that, you know, I can. Right? And then someone who's overconfident, right, also needs to kind of um, come back to earth. <laughs> right? Right. So this moderation, um, I think, begins when the child is young and the parent sees that and the, and the parent can, can kind of like, you know, um, moderate it, right, mm-hmm. to adjust. Right. Um, the learning processes for their child. Yeah. yeah. So so that's one. That's the growing up experience, and then as child as children develop, they also see or take a cue from their parents. How do how does mommy and daddy um, respond to adversity? Right. So if they see mommy like getting frustrated, throwing things on the floor, right, giving up, crying in the corner every night, then does this child really learn resilience? Maybe. Right, it really um, is how they they perceive. Right, right. right? Um, but the modeling, I think, is also important. Firstly, for the child to to watch, and then to emulate. Mm. Yeah. Right. So like the entire, um, I don't know how how you say like because uh, a child um is influenced by many factors, right? Not only their family, so also like their interaction with their peers at school. Guidance from teachers, you know, yeah. um, the environment that they grow up in, um, whether or not like the, the physical environment, uh, rather than emotional. So, how much would you say um, is um, uh, dependent on parents in terms of the mental reasons? Like, uh, just an estimate, uh, Like, uh, I think that's a great question. I, th- well, I would think, or well, I would say, initially in the formative years, uh, a bigger part belongs to the family, right? Mm. The environment. 
as the child grows up and I think let's say we take the time where they begin to enter school socialize peers teachers academics comes in and all mm. um, then it splits kind of like three ways so three big portions of a of a young person's life would be what family school and friends right and how each of them um, provide the environment and modeling and uh, would be the exposure that this child has to kind of um, develop their um, qualities like, which is resilient included uh. so but the question I want to ask is because you said something about like having the parents be there for their child be a role model for the child uh, when they're young but like I'm looking at it in the point of like a low-income family versus a high-income family because for those low-income families they, their parents are normally not around to teach them or guide them while I mean I'm not here to like stereotype high-income families but um, compared to those high-income families where they perhaps have more time for their children so does would that mean like a low-income children like a children from a low-income family would have a weaker mental resilience compared to a children that comes from a higher income household i don't think that would necessarily be the case yeah so um when we talk about i think one of the things that in your your example was time spent right right um the amount of time uh i think i want to contrast that against the quality of time spent yeah. So if, if I don't have a lot of time with my child, but the do time that I do have with them, I spend quality, they, my, my kids know that I'm for them and that my kids kind of like see, know that I'm out there working and I'm not giving up, you know, I'm bringing, you know, um, I'm doing whatever I can to provide, right? Um, this relationship, this bond and that modeling, as they see that, okay, the, the kid might realize you're not too well off, but their mom is always hopeful and they're always having a smile on their face. They're always telling me it's going to be okay, right? I think resilience can still be um, caught in that sense, yeah. So, so in the case where like um, family, parents don't spend as much time with their children, um, is it harder for children to build on their mental resilience like without the family? Mm. I mean, if family is totally out of the picture, yeah. <laughs> that, that that's going to be tough lah. But um, like I said, there's um family, friends, and school, right? Um, very often what we find uh, can be, even if the father and mother um, is not present, grandpa, grandma, a significant other, an uncle and auntie that steps in can also provide that appropriate mentoring or you know, role modeling for them. Okay, uh, Peers, I'm a bit more cautious because they are same age, right? How about 10-year-old, 10-year-old? What kind of modeling is going to happen? Right? Um, and as much as you know, our parents out there would, would say the school, you know, supposed to educate my child academically, morally, and the whole works, even mm-hmm. uh, a character, character, and all that. Um, teachers, we don't know lah, overwork, underpaid, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Am I really gonna entrust like you know, um, the the character of my child to a teacher who has 30, 40 kids under her? Mm. So, I think there's still a responsibility on the family unit lah. Yeah, at least in the formative years. Um, just now you mentioned that like there's like uh, uh different like like the three different groups, right? So um, what I'm curious is that does this like uh uh influence from the three different groups change over time, like uh in terms of the age of the child? So like uh for example, if the child is in their preteen years, right, is there more influence from family or is it more towards peers? 
you're young adult. I mean, I would guess, and you guys can can confirm, right, if, if it's true or not. I think as as people um, mature, right, and then this developmental stage of trying to find out who I am and my place in the world, um, and in relation to other people, um, peers and and others, right, CCA groups, all those interest groups, and they tend to take more of the time. I wouldn't say priority, but they take up a lot more time and exposure and. Uh, for, um, so a lot more modeling comes from there. Um, social learning comes from there, right? Um, if family wasn't too strong before, right? Um, then you know, it's a bit of a disconnect, lah. Mm. Yeah. But would you say family is still strong for you guys? <laughs> or, In terms of influence, Yeah. Like, or is it peers? Uh, now it's like not not really much on any. Like, like, it feels like it's more like what I feel rather than what uh, other people feel that I, I, I must um, follow or that I feel that, oh, that's right, you know. Like, I, I think, I, I don't know, there's like an age or something that, you, you know, you, you start to uh, um, fix yourself and in terms of like what, what values or like uh, what morals you stick to and what um, is your way of life, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I'm more towards that really. Like, but previously, if you're talking about preteen, yeah, sorry. I think for me, it's actually my, my family more because uh, I spend a lot of um, time with family. So I'm that kind of child that, that uh, last time, like, like, you know, after school, go back home. After school, go back home. Go back home. <laughs> I don't stay after school one. Yeah, because I, I got school bus. <laughs> yeah, get school bus for your kids. Just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Eh. What, what about you all? Wow, uh, now... Okay, now I think like I'm mature enough to recognize what behaviors or characters are uh, characteristics are good. So like, let's say my father is very uh, generous, so I would tend to try to mimic him, not sort 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 of like mimic him or like learn this kind of behavior while ignoring all the negative <laughs> behaviors. So I think I'm at a point of my life where like it's easier to identify and pick up the good mm. and leave out the bad. And what, uh, while in pre-teen years, I think I'm not, uh, I'll, um, like opposite of Gabriel, I would tend to go off my friends. So I'll be, I'll be more, uh, I'll behave somewhat like my friends, but it's very weird because like in, I behave differently in secondary school and in ITE. So I really feel it really depends on like, like you said, I think the environment also plays a big factor, like the group of people they hang out with. So. Maybe it's peers because I behave very differently uh, when I change schools. Mm. So I feel that for me, it's more of peers. Uh. Right. I, I think for mine, it's definitely family. But I think it's just because that growing up, I'm so used to like listening to them. And like the moment you get influenced by your peers, you are known to be rebellious. Like, oh, you're not listening to me. You're like um, with your friends and everything. And also, but I feel like if they notice a stage like this, it's, they will start to pull you back and like, from then on, we'll spend like a lot of quality time together. So it just became like a habit to like um listen to my family. I don't know. I, to me, their opinions matter more la. Is it filial pity like like? Uh, I don't right? think so. I I guess it's just like a heavy law because like we spend a lot of time together ma. So obviously oh. I will want to like listen to you since like you're the one that um with me making certain decisions. Mm. It was a stronger formative bond, mm, right? Mm. So, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we all turned out great 
Yeah, yeah, you guys don't. <laughs> <laughs> Self-love, yeah. But uh, so so like you see, like there's three different examples yeah. here already. So, like uh, that that means before the age of preteens, right? Like is is it very important for like families to spend more time and quality time in order to like be able to have, I guess more more control or rather uh more influence in terms of like um what kind of habits you impart to the children. Absolutely. In fact, I think, in fact, the literature supports this. Mm. Right? So the formative years, um, if you follow Freud, <laughs> you say age one, one to six, these are the crucial bonding attachment uh, years. And the, uh, uh, yeah, so usually if that's um, tight, right, then um, family will always be the safe home base that, you, that the person can return to. Uh. Mm. Yeah. Right. Uh, let, let's say if. Uh like uh, in the in the situation where uh, family um, during that period of time of the child's um, age one to six or not very present or or doesn't have a lot of uh, uh, like like time to spend the child yeah mm. then later on is still possible right to absolutely so so this is I think that's a great question also that you follow up with it doesn't mean that um, if one to six you know I didn't have my dad mom with me you know I was yeah. a latchkey kid that means my life is screwed up. There comes a point, like you said, right, where we realize uh, we come into our own person, mm. right? We make choices and we don't blame the past so much, right? At least this is what I believe. There are many different schools of thoughts out there, but once you come into this place of I know enough to think and to make decisions for myself and I'm responsible, legally the age is 21, lah, right? <laughs> you become a full adult and all that, then we have a responsibility to ourselves, yeah. right, to kind of um, create our of our own path. Lah. Yeah, so that includes the qualities, the kind of values that we want to believe in, to uh, the kind of person that we want to be and live out the rules that we have, yeah, mm. that kind of thing. Definitely, yeah, but I, I think ultimately still is very is very important for a family to be spending a lot of quality time, you know, and um, like what you say, modeling um, good habits of resilience from young. Mm. Like, um, I think that's exactly why there's a lot of like um kind of governmental support on on that line of parenting. I know there are a few programs out there that like families for life, you know, uh, kids start. I I don't know whether you heard about that before lah, but it focuses on like a lot of um parenting skills and being able to uh, uh I guess let parents understand like further on on their role as a parent and how it really influences their child's development. Yeah. 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 Absolutely, man. Hmm. Um, if there's any kid watching, right, right? <laughs> I must I must say a word from my mentor, right? He said, like, you know, um, parents when when they give birth to kids, right, um, they don't have a manual, right? There's nothing that that teaches them how to be a good parent. Right. So for if especially your first kid like me, right, you learn and figure out along the way that you know um, parents just do the best do the best that they can, yeah. right? So um, forgive their mistakes, lah, right? Uh, I realized this sometime when I was like about 17, I was so angry with, with my parents, with the world and all of those things. And I'm like one day, hey, but you're old enough to think. Right? Right. <laughs> so stop blaming and start you know, um, doing something about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's part of my journey, that, which is why it comes into how I've also believed and formulate my, my um, thinking about life, mm. which is it comes a point where we are responsible and we can choose how we want to, to be 
I think that's a great point also because one of the parents that I recent I like I conducted my community mapping interview he said something along the lines of like um when the child when you're expecting a child you wouldn't think okay I want this child to be a doctor I want this child to be a lawyer whatever you just want the child to be healthy so I think it's somewhere along like it's a very innocent and very touching moment and like you said parents are trying their best and trying to make the child happy and healthy yeah yeah there's no license for parenting out there. <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah. Should there be? <laughs> That's a topic for another day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. So um, usually at the end of, uh, I think we are reaching the end of the podcast already. Lah. So usually at the end of the podcast, we always have a few um, final words or uh, closing words by the expert. Yeah, so that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> Expert, yeah, yeah, the counsellor, yeah, right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, do you have any final words for the viewer, parents um, out there? Mm. Shy of being, uh, like, cliche, right? <laughs> it's like, uh, this stigma about mental wellness, and, and if, if you need help, right, seek help, why not? There's this tagline that, that goes around, right? and then it's okay not to be okay. Lah. Um... I think it takes great courage. And one of the my, my students asked me recently, right, and the issue you want to talk about is you know, I've been secretly coming to counseling for a long time. And uh, you know, I feel so embarrassed, I feel so weak, like why why only me? Right, that that really broke my heart because it speaks to the the stigma that's still out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I think I wanna use the analogy of, of seeing a doctor. We all get sick and we all need to see a doctor at least once in our life. Right. right or more and there shouldn't be any um, fear or shame in in just coming forward to say you know I need help mm. yeah so I, I want to acknowledge that rather than a show of weakness it takes a great a lot of courage to actually come forward and, and to to do that and the benefits is not um, only for ourselves but in the process of learning skills and to help ourselves, we also then are equipped now to help our loved ones and, and others around us. Mm. So if, if, if anyone is uh, in pain, right, do, 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 um, do come out and, and seek help. Mm, definitely. Mental health is for everyone. Yeah, it's, mm. it's something everyone struggles and grows with. All right, we've come to the end of the first podcast. Thank you so much, Mr. Donovan, for joining us on this podcast. Thank your, you for having me. Yeah, your insights have been very good and very useful for the audience. Yeah, I'm sure that the audience learned a lot from today's discussion. Yeah, so thank you everyone so much for watching today's podcast. If you like what you watched today, uh, please stay tuned because there are four other podcasts coming up soon, right? So uh, apart from this, actually, uh, we have left the link down in the description below for a Padlet whereby you can send your questions pertaining to this topic, anything at all, and we'll send it to Mr. Donovan and he'll get back to you guys on it. We'll post on our social media. Yeah, so uh, yeah, please uh, stay tuned for the next few podcasts and uh, I think we'll also be leaving a few hotlines um, and helplines down in the description below. So if you're a person who is in pain or you want to seek help or want to know more about mental health, um, you can also check out the description down below. Yeah, I think yeah, that's all from us. We'll see you guys next week. Right, thank you everyone for watching. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.